Hello, Gaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsor. The IGMNX podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. The Pragmatic Solutions player account management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. And now here is today's podcast. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Um, welcome to the iGaming Next podcast. Uh, today with uh, Alan Stone, the CEO and co-founder of uh, Intelletics. Uh, how are you doing today, Alan? Good, how are you? Very, very good, thank you. This is actually the first time I'm recording uh, uh, this podcast in the uh, in the evening, so I actually made a mistake just not saying saying good afternoon because uh, I'm so used to used to doing this at a certain time every uh, every day. But uh, uh, there's the first time for everything, and and where you are, it's uh, completely opposite. It's uh, it's morning. Morning, nine a.m. Yeah, yeah, you're in the uh, in California, right? Yep, California. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so, Alan, um, Intelletics, uh, obviously a, a tracking uh, platform um, for performance uh, marketing uh, platform. Can you explain a little bit more just for the viewers to, to start with what it is that you specialize on? Yeah, sure. So, we are, Intelletics is a marketing analytics and business intelligence platform that we built specifically for the iGaming space. Um, mm -hmm. So, we help uh, operators track all of their uh, performance marketing for acquisition across all their channels. So everything from affiliates to internal media buys to third-party media companies to agencies to uh, you know any of their uh, programmatic display or PPC. Uh, we help them track and understand uh, where they're deploying that capital to acquire customers and, and how efficiently they're doing that. Cool. And um, obviously, um, uh, your background comes as well. Uh, like you have built kind of like affiliate networks in the past, right? And I, if I uh, if I remember this correctly, like the, the, one of the reasons that you started Intelletics is kind of this service was kind of uh, lacking a little bit for for yourself as well, right? To be able to collect the data that you needed. Yeah. 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 So our background is as media buyers. Um, we've been in the my business partners uh, have been in the iGaming space uh, for a very long time since its inception. Uh, mm -hmm. And I got I got introduced to iGaming. Uh, back in 2008, 2009, didn't get really involved until 2011. But we saw, um, yeah, we saw a real clear opportunity around 2012, uh, just with the shift of consumer behavior, uh, additional regulation happening, both domestically here in the U.S. as well as around the world, uh, and and the rise of programmatic and biddable media platforms. Uh, we just saw an opportunity to uh, start to carve out some more. Uh, start to carve out more acquisition channels for partners other than SEO and other than sort of the traditional acquisition channels they were using um, that were primarily, uh, you know, uh, just historical and and and, and uh, legacy, you know, acquisition channels. We wanted to bring we wanted to bring in some new, fresh, uh, data-driven acquisition channels, and so that's the opportunity that we saw. Yeah, yeah, and this is uh, to me this is really interesting because uh, obviously you're sitting on a lot of data and throughout the years being able to kind of measure the 
the shifting consumer behavior and uh, understanding the customer for like uh, based on the demographics and and all kinds of different things. So it'd be really interesting uh, to talk a little bit more today on kind of uh, where we have seen the trends going in the past, kind of the uh, yep. learning from from that. Um, what the trends are at the moment and where we are heading uh, towards in the future. So sure. um, I'd like to just start this conversation by uh, by them taking a step back just to put a little bit more perspective into into this uh, uh, into this uh, discussion. Because um, in our prep call, we talked about uh, you know a previous paradigm shift in the consumer behavior. Uh, of the um, of the customers were this big shift from desktop to mobile, you know, and and you talked about how you guys were very early in kind of understanding that paradigm shift. Can you can you talk a little bit more about kind of uh, you know before people realized this uh, shift, uh, what your thoughts were and how you understood that that was uh, a shift that was about to happen? Yeah, so I mean, we we were fortunate in that we saw the shift happening in in the verticals other than gaming, right? Like we we came from, uh, you know, we we were doing quite a bit in the consumer finance vertical and the uh, fintech verticals, uh, and we saw that the with the rise of sort of the iPhone and smartphone as well as tablets, uh, and the, and the user adoption of those as well as less and less time spent on on desktop screens, uh, and then the rise of these massive ad platforms on Facebook and. Uh, Twitter and and you know just the more uh, advanced advertising platforms, um, we just saw that consumer shift happening, uh, and so people were engaging. You know, people were sitting down less and less and playing for hours at a time on their desktop, and and more engaging in micro sessions uh, on their mobile devices when they were commuting or when they just had downtime at work or at school or or whenever. Uh, and so we started to see that happen. Um, based on our behavior as consumers ourselves, but then also just in what the data was showing us. Um, you know, we started seeing uh, conversion rates on desktop start to fall. We started seeing more and more uh, traffic opportunities on mobile start to arise uh, that just didn't exist prior. And so mm -hmm. um, really that, that, that shift was driven mostly by, again, the cell phone, you know, the, the, the proliferation of uh, data plans throughout the world, uh, how cheap these smart, smart technologies were getting, how much bigger the screens were getting, uh, as well as the tablets and just the interconnectivity of the consumer as opposed to them having to be locked into their house or wherever their computer was. Uh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, we saw it early on, again, just based on what we were doing outside of gaming, uh, mm -hmm. and then saw a couple, you know, a handful of operators starting to, to really take advantage of that early on mm -hmm. uh, and decided to see, you know, if we could start testing uh, different channels, different opportunities, and start to prove out: Hey, is are are these channels, uh, are these mobile specific or you know, uh, tablet specific channels going to be viable channels for operators? And just using data and, and testing it. So, mm. yeah, it's it's interesting because you know we're sitting here in 2020, and and and, and uh, looking back, it seemed like such an obvious paradigm shift. You know, it was staring us in the eye all along at that time. Mm. But I remember for myself. Okay, so at that time um, when the mobile uh, shift started to happening within iGaming, uh, I think um, around 2011, 2012, or something like that. Uh, I was working for uh, Betson Group at that time, okay, so quite large operator in in uh, in Scandinavia, and obviously uh, operating in the in the Scandinavian market is um, is a heavily tech fluent market, right? So that's where the shift happens uh, first, let's say. Uh, but still, during that time, there was no talk about mobile at that time. Uh, right. uh, even that late, you know, and uh, I mean, if we look at mo the trends now, like, you know, the iPhone was launched, the first iPhone was like 2005 or something, 2006, yeah. 
uh, and uh, every year exponential growth, you know. But it only took uh, uh, until, you know, like 2012 or so where a lot of the operators started taking uh, mobile uh, serious. You know, like, yeah. why do you think that it's uh, that uh, that you can kind of oversee such an obvious paradigm shift <laughs> that it's uh, in, in hindsight now we can say that it was? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think it's um, there's a number of factors that lead into why that hindsight, I mean, why, why it was overlooked or just wasn't prioritized, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think you know it starts with uh, it starts with the technology, right? The the gaming technology itself, the platforms. Uh, I think those platforms were slow to move, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason. I don't know exactly why, but um, you know the the consumer experience on a native uh, mobile is, is is much different than desktop. And I think just reimagining that experience for a lot of these platform providers was something that was out of the realm of uh, you know what they were comfortable with. Um, yeah. I also think you know it's it's one of those things where you know we're in an, we're in an industry fortunately where um, if you have a good product and you've got good messaging you make a lot of money and so mm. um, you know a lot of these larger operators which is very well established they had a very you know that their their operations were established it was like why are we going to disrupt what's working right why are we going to disrupt what's what's making money for us um, you know as so I, I think there was a little bit of that but I, I also think there was a there was a limited um, I, I think part of it was there was a limited solutions being offered to operators. I don't think there was anybody really pushing the operators to um, to start to move in that direction. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, there's a, there's, there were a lot of variables at play. Uh, yeah. You know, I think we were, we were pretty early on in terms of pushing operators, right? When we came and we had, you know, specific channels of traffic that we wanted to uh, leverage as acquisition channels for operators, but then we also wanted to uh, you know, be able to not only buy ads on those channels, but also be able to drive to specific uh, products for the mm -hmm. operators, uh, and just found it very challenging. And it wasn't any, it wasn't because the operators weren't interested. It was because they just had a, they were, they were limited in what they could do mm -hmm. uh, based on the technology stack. And so I think there was a, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, whatever, however you want to look at it, there was, uh, you know, the entire technology stack of the operators had to be overhauled in order for them to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. And I still think it's, and it's still happening. I mean, you still yeah. have, um, there's still a lot of opportunity, yeah. um, you know, on for, for operators capture on mobile uh, and, and on, the, on these different, uh, you know, channels of, of traffic. Uh, and it, it's a lot of it has to boil, boils down to just their ability to technically be able to um to optimize and to, to 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 capitalize on those channels yeah yeah true and, and i mean i i guess on a hum, more human level as well i mean you know we were very busy on our, on our day-to-day -day operations right like we you get boggled down in your to-do list that is uh, you know a hundred tasks long and and uh, you you don't really see the bigger picture sometimes uh, when when uh, you're as busy executing um your backlog and, and so forth and i think that's where like um, Leo Vegas then came in, you know, as a new operator, mobile first, mm -hmm. and uh, obviously yep. became huge because they were a little bit ahead of, of the others. Uh, right. In, in I think part of it too was the gatekeepers on the mobile of the mobile ecosystem. Right. You mm -hmm. had Apple and and Google who um, just weren't. Um, I don't want to say they were they were hostile, but they just weren't friendly towards mm -hmm. iGaming at the time. Right. It was still very. I mean, those two companies are still. You know, they're U.S.-based companies. Online gambling in the U.S. wasn't regulated then. Um, you know, the, no one really understood what that opportunity was, and so for them, it was just a, you know, it was a, 
uh, if it ain't, you know, it was almost like they, they had no, they had no reason to, to, to be nice. And now, yeah. now they have, you know, fortunately I think they've seen the opportunity uh, mm -hmm. that exists for them as well as for their, you know, opening up the ecosystem for gaming, uh, yeah. for the consumers that engage with that ecosystem. So uh, I think that was another part of it was, you know, the gatekeepers of the, those ecosystems just weren't, uh, they were benevolent, right? They 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 weren't hostile per se, uh, but they also weren't accommodating either. So, no. again, if you're if you're an operator and you're trying to, uh, you know, you want to make uh, a business case to go and attack this channel, uh, but the gatekeepers of that channel aren't going to be there to facilitate or or help you to uh, capitalize on opportunity. Why would yeah. you Why would you invest there as aggressively as you did? But I, I agree. With you. I mean, look, we saw Leo Vegas very early on yeah. um, capitalize on that opportunity, and everyone sees where they're at now. I mean, they are they are market leaders because. They saw this, you know. They saw that opportunity, and they took advantage of it. Um, yeah. You know, like you said, just barely before everybody else, but it, they were yeah. a first mover. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's that's all that's needed, right? Because when when um, they operate this note, this the, the success of, of Leo Vegas, they followed suit, obviously. Uh, right. uh, so, so that's what happened. So, so Alan, um, that begs the obvious follow-up question to this discussion, which is uh, then uh, if the mobile paradigm shift was staring us right in the face for years and uh, uh, and it uh, didn't happen uh, until um, later than it uh, should have probably then um what is kind of the next paradigm shift in the industry is there is there any is there any um, any indications of new emerging tech or any other development in tech world that can potentially uh, disrupt the industry again you know I, I, and i would just like to add in here i think I think even even disruptive technologies like uh, trustless pay and play, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which also changed the landscape to some extent in the northern um, uh, markets, you know, can be a disruptive um, um, technology as well, which was overlooked until it was proven the, the success. You know, so so tell me, like, uh, do you see any trends or anything to keep an eye on at the moment for the operators? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different trends that we're watching. I think, um, you know, in terms of what is still early on, and I don't think there's anything necessarily staring us in the face right now that that operators aren't taking advantage of. I think I think because of the experience with being slow to adopt mobile, I think operators have swung the other way, and they're mm -hmm. they're pushing their technology providers, and they're pushing their product teams, and they're pushing their their mm -hmm. strategy teams to to start to be more proactive as to identifying these these new trends. Mm -hmm. um, from our perspective, the things that we're watching. Um, I don't know. There's any paradigm shifts necessarily, but the things that we're watching and just keeping an eye on to see, okay, what's how is how are these things going to make um, consumer engagement with gambling products easier or um, mm -hmm. or more more efficient? Um, so things like you mentioned, I mean, you know, the trustless pay and play stuff. That stuff is, you know, the, as that rolls out worldwide, based on you know different bankings uh, modernizing, you know, diff different banking systems modernizing. That could be really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're looking at crypto pretty aggressively in terms of, you know, what is that going to do for ease of playability with consumers? Um, again, lots of regulation still needs to happen there, but uh, there's something, some interesting things happening. Um, you know, we look at new products that are emerging like esports, right? There's yeah. a lot of operators that have sports books are looking at the esports market and what that's bringing. You know, COVID has accelerated, I think, the esports market because mm -hmm. people are staying at home playing. Um, Personally, I think there's a there's a massive opportunity with the P2P peer-to-peer uh, esports -peer e betting opportunity. I don't think very many operators are are taking advantage of that yet. It's still yeah. sort of the traditional 
you know, betting on the highest, you know, the, the, the top 100 players in esports or the top 100 matches or, or, or mm-hmm. games in esports. So I think there's still a big opportunity, almost like what poker, if you were to look at it, think of it more as almost like a poker play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that could be huge. Um, and then, you know, I still think it's, <clears throat> The, the jury's still out on 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 AR and VR. Um, I think there's a lot more activity. There's a lot more consumer adoption happening with VR. Again, because of COVID, people are staying home. They're looking for more entertainment. And so you've got a lot more, you've got a consumer base that's much more engaged with those products. Mm. Um, so seeing, you know, what is the opportunity there? Um, <clears throat> and I, I think one of the big frontiers, and it's, again, it's it's still early, but it's it's gonna, I think it could be massive for gaming is, is the connected TV, right? Um, how much smarter are the t- TVs going to become uh, that are in consumer households? You know, mm-hmm. almost almost moving from, you know, the TV becoming the new desktop. What is that going to look like? What kind of products can operators put into market uh, for consumers that are engaging on the TV? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then cross-screen engagement, right? So something that maybe involves uh, a tablet or, or a smartphone as well as, as, well as the connected TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some interesting... Interesting developments there, and again, those the TVs are, are doing nothing but getting smarter and more interactive. So that could be a, a really interesting new frontier as well for operators. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so uh, if we move into like the field of of uh, marketing, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the the discussion is similar uh, there in the sense that like uh, the, the like these days, the, uh, the there's so many new channels and and uh, other channels are are being added all the time to to be able to reach out with your your message. And uh, uh, I guess this is kind of your uh, your speciality at the moment, kind of the uh, marketing uh, channels and so forth. So I also like to uh, to ask you there, like, what um, what is your like analysis of various marketing channels at the moment? And uh, same thing here, where 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 are the trends uh, going in in acquiring players most uh, efficiently? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um there's a lot of emerging channels and you've got platforms. TikTok is investing heavily in their advertising platform mm. uh, to give, to give advertisers more control over targeting and, and, uh, you know, and optimizations. I mean, you know, Facebook and Google are still the behemoths, right? They still control mm. so much of, of, you know, users attention. Um, you know, I, I think um, the opportunity that exists for operators is just to better optimize and leverage as existing channels. I still think, you know, if you look across the board, the conversion rates from an initial impression to first purchase, uh, it's still very low in this industry compared to other industries. Um, it has there's, there's a number of factors that lead to that, but I think there's a lot of that has to do with just the the general product improvement that still needs to happen within iGaming. Mm. Um, Where do you see like most friction right now in the uh, in the conversion funnel? Speaking about that, um, yeah, I mean, there's a the the biggest friction point is ease of use. Um, is ease of uh, first purchase, right? I mean, the the fact that um, you know consumers still have to jump through hoops in a lot of cases just to be able to give an operator money. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not just on the operators, right? But mm-hmm. um, you know, we see that friction point. Uh, we see that as the biggest friction point right now is how do we get people who have you know expressed an interest, right? I.e., they've you know clicked on an ad, they've maybe even submitted some of their information, but they haven't made a first purchase. What is that? Um, how do, how do we remove the friction from that, um, from that process as much as possible? I think, you know, the, the, the pay and play stuff was a very, very interesting first step. Mm -hmm. It was limited in terms of the markets that were able to roll it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you still have, you know, it, it, it was also limited in terms of its, in terms of the, um, 
the availability of the consumers, they had to have specific cards, they had to have specific issuing banks to be able to, to do that, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think just a greater uh, greater adoption or greater or wider spread of technology that allows more consumers who might be interested a uh, greater opportunity to to engage and uh, to engage with the products and and be able to actually give operators their money. Yeah. Um, that's the greatest friction point that we see right now is just from from initial interest to actually uh, being able to make a first purchase and play. Uh, yeah. And so that's where we, we focus a lot of our attention in terms of our data just to help operators understand the fall off where are consumers falling off on the funnel and where can we yeah. re-engage them to get them to come back in yeah yeah exactly that's interesting you you, you say that and i i think uh, uh trustly really kind of paved the way with the pay and play product in in a sense where you know sweden was kind of the test market and let's say where um where it was so obvious that like uh, you cannot operate your brand in sweden now if you don't have pay and play like that's how obvious right. uh, uh, it is so it kind of paves the way to uh, to show what um, th there is no doubt that your your number one uh, kind of priority acquiring customers should be to remove friction, even if it uh, means that you have to give up your registration process, for example. Right. Which is why a lot of people doubted them in the beginning, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know when we look at it, it's you know I think our our perspective is a little bit jaded again because of where we come from. But one of the things I look at is how easy is it for me to go to Vegas and walk from one casino to the next, right? <laughs> um, and and I look at it as almost the same for a consumer. If I'm on my phone and I want to go from you know operator you know one operator to the next, it shouldn't be a challenge. The operator shouldn't see that as a challenge. They should see it as an opportunity to differentiate their brand, differentiate their product, differentiate their um, you know what their uh, brand means to the consumers. Uh, and, and we see that, right? The average average uh, casino player, uh, we were looking at some of our data. I mean, we track player, we track a lot of different players. And uh, right now the average player has 4.8 gaming accounts. So, <laughs> you know, if an operator lands a player, chances are they're competing with at least three, potentially four other operators. So how are you going to differentiate? Um, and so I think that that's that's a massive opportunity for operators as well. Is, you know, a, the the opportunity is eliminate the friction. The players mm -hmm. are going to, to are going to gravitate towards the places where it's the easiest for them to be able to play. Um, and that's that's everything from, uh, you know, how how well are you, you know, what's your marketing message and where are you reaching those consumers mm -hmm. uh, with your message? Uh, I mm -hmm. think that's another opportunity that we see a lot of operators. Um, you know, missing or, or, or just a, an easy win for them is, hey, if you've got someone who's on their mobile phone, right, if they click an ad on their mobile phone and they're engaging with you and they're on their phone, why would you send them an email to re-engage with them? Why wouldn't you send them an SMS or, or, mm -hmm. or you know, even, you know, Facebook Messenger? If, if you knew that a consumer came from Facebook and they were engaging with your product and your ads on Facebook, why wouldn't, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you engage with them in the, in, on the channel with which they're engaging with you, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of creative opportunities for operators to take advantage of those things as well. Yeah, yeah, the, interesting, like you're saying, and, uh, not just kind of standardize your messaging them, but uh, the goal should be to tailor your messaging to each uh, client kind of thing, uh, depending on how they have interacted with you, something like this, and the data that you have on them. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 should, it should definitely inform uh, it should definitely inform your marketing messaging. It shouldn't just be a cookie cutter. Um, the, the marketing messaging should be informed by what the consumers are telling you, which is, mm. hey, I'm on this device. I'm engaging with you at these times. Um, yeah. You know, uh, that, that sort of cookie cutter approach 
it works right better mm. than nothing but uh, there's yeah. a lot more efficiency that can be had if there's if there's some very specific uh, custom customized messaging uh, involved in, in reaching and engaging with the, with the players yeah yeah interesting the, uh, that makes the question and something we, we discussed as well in the uh, in, our, in our prep call which is um, uh, you know the fact that your, your company is obviously based on all the on, on the data that you collect and and, um, and the analysis you can do do of that to be able to uh, understand player behavior and so, and so forth uh, better now uh, there is this um, old school way of, of uh, doing media the traditional media uh, newspaper TV ads and and, and so forth um, which I think uh, is an important part for the gaming uh, industry but um, it's not as easy perhaps to uh, detract um, uh, to detract data from uh, those type of uh, channels uh, when we move into the future now uh, do you think kind of the traditional media is dead uh, or will they have to figure out ways how to uh, collect data better to uh, provide the um, their customers with more information on the on the results they are uh, achieving yeah i don't think it's dead necessarily i mean i think i think again we, we talked we touched on it earlier i think you know traditional tv advertising is moving more and more to connected devices right so yeah. you're going to be able to there are more and more opportunities to be able to understand hey if i'm running an ad on a tv what is that first of all who am i reaching right instead yeah. of instead of you know the traditional way of you know finding a particular program or a particular time slot and having a, a demographic that fits that particular program or time slot, you can actually customize and say, hey, you know what, we want to reach households who are watching this particular event that you know have these other criteria. And because again, because of these smart TVs, because of how people are engaging with with what they're doing, right? And, and streaming as opposed to over the wire uh, TV watching, you now have access to be able, you now have access to that data and that targeting ability. So becoming much more intelligent with those quote unquote traditional buys, um, mm -hmm. there's definitely an opportunity there. Uh, we're seeing seeing a lot of, uh, of stuff emerging around that right now um in terms of like traditional print and things like that look i, I think they always serve a purpose right I and mean, at the end of the day yeah. they're they're touch points with consumers and you always want to make sure that your brand is top of mind with consumers i do think there's some interesting things to track there uh you know i think some some operators have done some custom urls or maybe they even set up custom brands where um you know they're they only run this brand on this particular magazine or, or print or whatever um mm. i think again you got to look at the trends of what's happening with COVID now, everything's going contactless. So, you know, a technology that's 15, 20 years old, QR codes, which I was very slow to consumer adoption, and especially in developed markets and developed yeah. countries, um, you're starting to see more and more consumer adoption of those things now, right? Um, you've got NFC chips, right? Where you now can place uh, an NFC chip on, you know, on a, on a billboard for, you know, a bus station or a train station. And now people can walk up with their phone and engage with that particular advertisement right there and you can track that that's all trackable it's all um you know you, so you know exactly how many people engaged with that advertisement that was at that station um mm. so it, it, again it's all technology it's all you know we're just following consumer trends and, and what they're doing uh, and, and trying to help operators understand what those trends and, and opportunities are uh, yeah. but the more that things become connected the more opportunities there are for operators to track and understand what's actually driving success for them where are their best players coming from what do they look like and how are they engaging with their products and really understanding that is really the key to optimizing hey you know this is our budget for this month how are we going to acquire more players
Yeah, it's a, I think it's an interesting point what you're saying with the NXT, for example, which is uh, also one of these technologies that are, uh, it's been around for a couple of years, you know, but um, uh, it feels, at least to me, uh, you know, I'm just speaking for myself, I just started using uh, NFC and starting to pay with my phone like last month. <laughs> I yep. discovered that I was able to do that with my iPhone 10, basically, um, uh, and um, and uh, since then, you know, I, I, then I use when I do it once, then I would then I do it forever. You know, it's one mm -hmm. of these technologies that uh, it's just so obviously uh, so obvious much better. And uh, same with QR codes. You know, when you when you discover that oh, I, I just need to point my camera literally at the QR code and it will automatically open this page for me. Um, yep. Then uh, immediately you understand uh, that uh, that is something you can uh, you can do the next time you see a QR code you you associate it you get the connection in your brain basically and maybe yeah. maybe the advancement of uh, these technologies is what will kind of um, save the traditional media that is difficult to uh, for the advertisers themselves to uh, sorry for the um yeah the billboard owner itself to. Uh, to measure, uh, it can be measured uh, directly from the uh, advertiser, uh, despite the fact that it's so easy to use uh, the NFC um, functionality or the QR functionality. So maybe that is what will uh, kind of make it uh, easier for the advertiser to measure the actual results from these uh, campaigns. Because that's what that's what we have um, been faced with sometimes. Because we do both traditional uh, media and uh, digital media, as we are doing now. Um, so when we print our magazines, for example, um, mm -hmm. we have a printed version of our magazine, and um, often we get faced with uh, the the um, the argument that uh, uh, it's probably a waste of money. You know, we don't know if it's uh, if it's good or if it's not good. Yeah, you know, and, uh, right. and, they, and then you know, on the other hand, on the uh, to the left here, you have uh, ten other marketing channels that you will know exactly on the dot your RI. So every single marketing manager these days uh, will choose the safe option, uh, more or less. Right. You know. Uh, so I guess that is an important part to remember as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's a healthy mix, right? I mean, there, there's you've got to look at it because marketing, you know, performance marketing is one aspect of it, but you still have to be able to establish your brand. Mm. Um, and there is a little bit of, you know, there you can definitely track that as as much and as intelligently as possible. But there is still a little bit of a uh, you know, uh, social proof, if you will, or, or, you know, brand association, right? So um, even though the, you know, you might not be able to track specifically what that engagement on that print uh, advertisement is, um, there is still the opportunity cost of, well, if you're not there, who is going to be there? Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Uh, and, and, and it does, I mean, the technology is there, right? I mean, anyone who has any sort of qualms around, oh, I can't track this. Yes, you can. You just have to get creative about it, right? <laughs> so, you know, make put a QR code in your advertisement and put a call to action there just the same mm -hmm. way you would on a digital banner yeah. and see what people engage, see who engages and what they engage like. You might find that, um, yeah, you don't get the same number of eyeballs from that print engagement as you would from a, you know, a Facebook ad or, a, you know, whatever, a TikTok ad, but the players or, 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 the, or the people that are engaging with that are maybe are more valuable or not. Yeah. It's it's all numbers. It's data, right? At the end of the day, that's what we always say: is is just let the let the numbers tell you what's happening and what's not. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, interesting. And, and speaking about uh, uh, NFC uh, functionality, uh, you talked as well about um, how this functionality uh, is possible to basically in, um, implement in stadiums, that like uh, football games or, or whatnot, to uh, to target mm -hmm. uh, specific people with specific adverts in the actual mm -hmm. stadium. 
That's it's the first I've heard here of that. Can you can you um uh, can you elaborate on that uh, a bit how that will work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, without <laughs> giving away too much, but yeah, I mean, there's yeah. We've we've run we've we've tested some things where uh, by leveraging technology that allows us to understand where people are specifically, because again, you're using your mobile device, your mobile device, you always have it with you, right? Um, so we've actually run campaigns where we've targeted consumers who are within uh, a certain distance of that stadium for that particular sporting event. And you tailor, you tailor your ads, you tailor your ad messaging for the event that's happening, right? So, uh, you know, here in the US, if it's an NFL game at an NFL stadium, you can tailor that. Right now, it's not as relevant because there's, you know, there's not much viewer, there's not much in-person viewership uh, in the sense of there's no one at the stadiums yet, right? Uh, again, because of COVID. But once it does, you know, once the stadiums and these events start to open up, open back up, there is a, a massive opportunity to be, again, just more intelligent with how it is you're reaching the people that you want to be reaching and engaging with uh, in order to get them to um, you know, give you their money, you know, engage with your product. Yes. So, so how does it work with the uh, with the uh, NFC for chance? So, if I'm in a stadium, I have my iPhone. Uh, mm. um, will um, will I need? To, there's a couple uh, of yeah. How yeah, do I get there's the a couple different ways. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, so you so you you have location data within the application, so you know uh, you can set the the location, the specific geolocation of those those stadiums. So you know anyone that's yeah. that's you know engaged with your app is at the stadium. You know where they are. Yeah. But how um, do you push the message into the phone? As in, um, how do you force the message yeah. to, up, uh, to pop up on, on the screen? Sure, uh, there's a couple different ways to do that. Um, if, you know, in-app notification. So again, if they have your app already on the phone, you can yeah. engage with it there. Um, we've tested. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we've tested engagement. We've tested putting QR codes in the back of receipts from the concessions within uh, the stadium. Um, yeah. We've tested. Uh, uh, there's a couple of things that we've done that, that have been proprietary. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it right now because it's a good <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, look, the, the stadium, and here's the thing, I'll tell you, the people who own the stadium, the, t the sports teams, they want additional engagement with their with their consumer base. So they're willing to do deals where, you know, they'll say, hey, we've got our, you know, we know who our uh, season ticket holders are. We can, we can reach them. So partnership, you know, we've done partnership deals where we actually go to the, um, to the actual sports teams themselves, because they want to know more about their their customer, mm -hmm. right? And they want to they want to have a better offer a better experience for their customer. And if that means being able to provide a seamless uh, betting opportunity in stadium, then they want to do that. Uh, yeah. So we've we've done some exploratory stuff uh, with those types of team partnerships as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's, I mean, there's just a lot of different creative ways to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting to uh, to hear because, uh, like, like you're saying, like now using uh, using this technology, being able to uh, track your demographics in the in the real world is becoming uh, more accessible, uh, basically. And obviously, as a as an advertiser, that's what you want. In the end of the day, you want to be able to track your specific demographic uh, as as specific as possible, uh, right? Right. More and yeah, more, and, and, it's, yeah. it's becoming more and more accessible but it's also becoming more and more challenging because again the, the gatekeepers of these platforms right uh, apple yes. google they're becoming more uh consumer conscious right and so they're putting yes. they're putting uh technology in place that blocks people from being able to do those types of things um mm -hmm. now i will say this though all the all the efforts that they've made around that have been geared towards uh limiting the data that can be shared across partners okay. but if you have a customer if a customer is engaged with your product 
right? I.e., they have your app or their, you know, or they're engaged with you as a brand. Um, they're not trying to limit your ability to reach your existing customer base. What they're trying to do is limit the ability of, uh, you know, a nefarious third party from being able to understand, you know, uh, basically understand that that data and then resell it, right? So, yeah. uh, even for a brand, there's still a lot of opportunity. There might not be the same type of uh, data sharing opportunities that exist now in the future, but um, you're still going to have very creative ways that you can engage with those, with your with your consumer base. Um, yeah, yeah, that, this actually an uh, interesting discussion I wanted to open up as well. So you have this kind of uh, war for privacy going on, right? Where um, companies like Google, where their entire business model is based on collecting data and then being able to uh, to, to um, uh, sell that data to uh, advertisers or, or, or make it possible for advertisers to target their uh, customers, obviously. And then on the other hand, of the, on the other side of the coin, you have Apple where it's a pure hardware company, uh, doesn't really care about collecting too much data because they don't really uh, have an advertisement uh, platform themselves and um, who are trying to limit the collection of, of uh, data. And it feels a little bit like it's this like war going on between like privacy versus data collection. And how, how, do, how do, uh, yeah, first of all, do you agree with that statement? And, and how do you see this playing out as we go forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, <clears throat> I think the biggest development is putting the, the control of consumer data in their hands, right? I think that was the big thing that you had was you just had a lot of people collecting data and consumers didn't know it. Um, they, or, or they or they knew that, oh, hey, some information being collected on me, but they didn't know to what extent, right? So I think I think what you're seeing is, is an overreaction. Um, and I think what will end up happening is something, you know, to level out. I think part of this is consumers just becoming more aware of of what you know how valuable their data is and what information they want to and don't want to share and giving them that control so i think there is there is an ebb and flow there is a push and pull here um so i I don't necessarily i mean to me the jury's still out like i don't think anyone did anything wrong per se um there's obviously been some nefarious guys when it comes to data but it wasn't any of the big guys right i mean cambridge analytica type uh, situations Right, right, but they but they broke the law by hacking into Facebook anyway, right? So yeah, yeah. it wasn't like Facebook was necessarily. I mean, they were resp- ultimately they were responsible because it was their platform and it was their user data, right? So they are yeah. responsible for that. So, um, but I think I think what you're seeing now is that consumers are becoming more educated as to how valuable their data is. Hmm. Uh, they're also becoming more educated as to hey, you know, if I use this application, it's not just tracking what I'm doing within the application; it's also tracking me here, here, and here. Or if I'm on this website, they're not just sitting you know you know when i leave when i navigate away from the website they're not you know they're still tracking what i'm doing um Mm. so i think i think a better understanding for consumers of that and i think that that the moves that are happening right now on at the platform level with apple and with google are you know i think they're making the 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 correct moves to give the consumer the at least the choice Uh, i think there's a long way to go still um i think there's certain you know there are certain consumers who said hey you know what i don't want you to track any of my data but i'm willing to pay for this product i think that the problem is the model was we got trained early on as consumers to expect that everything on the internet was free. Well, yeah. it was free in the monetary sense, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have to pay for it, but we had to give up a very valuable, uh, a very important and valuable asset, which is our data. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of an overcorrection happening. Uh, I think it'll level out. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll you know, there's nothing that's going to be detrimental. I don't think that's, that's happening from what yeah. I can see. Yeah. Cause again, for the most part, 
anyone that has anything to do with any type of data is trying to protect that data as much as they can because a it's either valuable to them or b uh you know they don't want to they don't want to break any of the existing laws because there's quite a, there's quite a few uh, extensive mm -hmm. laws in the books now as to what you can and can't do with consumer data so um yeah i mean i, I think it's just a it's just a learn it's just growing pains we'll, we'll learn yeah, I, I guess there are like two sides to this, right? Uh, especially, this is becoming a bigger question. And I, there was the Netflix documentary, um, The Social Dilemma, that is highlighting this, that has kind of caused a, a big storm. You know, a lot of people are, uh, are, are, are looking at Facebook as something um, evil these days. You know, mm -hmm. I, I remember, you know, back in the day, people saw Facebook as something positive yeah, in general. But um, then there is the other side of the coin too, which is the fact that it feels that the trend right now is that people prioritize speed over trust, or uh, even like uh, just being comfortable over uh, over trust and, you, and and the security of your own data. And, and if we compare products, for example, let's say uh, Google Maps in comparison to Apple Maps. Uh, uh, you know, um, on the one hand, you have Google Maps are so collecting a lot of data on your movement, uh, which uh, which makes it easier for them to predict the traffic and so forth. Um, and then, and then on the other hand, uh, you have Apple Maps that are not collecting the same amount of, of, of data, and, and uh, it's uh, a lot easier to, uh, or it's a lot more difficult for them to uh, to kind of predict the same things that Google Maps can do. But people are gladly using Google Maps, you know, in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and uh, the the question, I guess, is like, um, yeah, who is going to win this tug of war? Because again, you have Apple, massive organization, who are really pushing and promoting the uh, uh, the the privacy um, aspect of, of the whole thing and reminding people constantly that like, be careful with your data, you know, because that's what it seems that. If people aren't reminded of it, then they don't seem to care that much. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, uh, and Apple has a direct incentive to do that because they, again, you make sure that they own the hardware, right? So it's it's they have to make sure that the uh, when people are engaging with their uh, with their hardware, they're protecting them. Uh, yeah. I, I think what you're going to end up seeing is you're right. I mean, I think, I think people are willing to give up a little bit of security for convenience. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's that trend is going to change because that's just consumer behavior. People want things is, now; yeah. they want to. Be mm. So I mean, people I complain. Gonna... People complain about the, 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 the like the social dilemma comes out. They complain for two weeks and they write about how they complain on Facebook, which is ironic. Right. Uh, and yep. then two weeks later, they forget about it because they are comfortable in their usage of technology. Right? That's how it yeah. is. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think. Um, we can talk very high level about this. I think one of the reasons yeah. that Facebook and these products became so engaging is because there was a lack of engaging products outside of the products, right? Like, so the reason that people engage with Facebook is because it is a very compelling and interesting product. Um, I think that they were, they moved very quickly. They moved very fast when it came to yeah. engaging with people on their mobile devices that are in their pocket, right? Um, you know, in, in the way that I look at it is the way you combat this is you put really good engaging products into the market to compete with them. Um, and, you know, we haven't, if you, if you look at it, um, these social apps continuously win UX, UI awards because they've just got such an incentive to capture that attention from you. And so mm -hmm. in order to combat that, in order to compete with that, you have to have really good 
product design, really good user experience design. And I think that there's an there's still a massive opportunity in, you know, for, for operators, but even for just anyone to create really engaging apps. Um, and I think that's part of what you're going to see happen is people are going to start to create more and more engaging apps because social, you know, these social products have done a really great job of understanding the psychological impact of, you know, how to get people to engage. And I think that there's still, you know, if, if, if Facebook's at level 10 in terms of their ability to get people to engage with their product, you know, by social hacking and engineering, uh, I think everyone else is at a three. So there's still yeah. a lot of ground that a lot of these guys can make up against those platforms uh, and leveraging those platforms, quite frankly, uh, mm -hmm. to create a better engaging product um, if they just move the needle one or two spaces. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you'll start to see more and more of that as people competing, because I, I do, I think there's a little bit of consumer fatigue happening as well. I think consumers want a different product to engage with other than these social platforms, there's just not much out there. Um, I see gambling as a really great, uh, you know, the, the, the iGaming space has a really great opportunity. If you ask me right now though, the iGaming space is, is, is failing when it comes to product UX, UI design. I mean, there's, there's, there are very interesting gimmicks happening in the iGaming product level, like uh, iGaming product innovation. I think there's some, you know, bells and whistles that guys think are really interesting, but nobody's really changed the you know change the perception of consumer you know user ux ui with consumers in gaming um I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head where it's like wow that is an amazing innovation for my gaming that's mm -hmm. going to be massively engaging and competitive with anything much mm -hmm. less differentiating between other gaming customers and so i think that when we look at it uh, the only products that I've seen that have sort of captured that attention real, realistically in the last year, year and a half have been more on the esports side of things okay. um, because it is such an emergent, you know, the, the brands that are attacking esports, you've got your big brands that are going at it as, as an opportunity, right? But there's still, there are a lot of really innovative startups that are trying to attack the esports world that are much more engaging from a product perspective um, mm -hmm. that are starting to capture a lot of attention of consumers where the the big guys just are either going to have to acquire them or they're just not going to be able to compete. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's a massive opportunity on gaming is to create some really interesting product differentiation. And it's not a, that's not a, Oh, we spin the wheel three times faster or, you know, we put the button here instead of there. There's, yeah. there's a very, uh, there's a very clear opportunity for someone to come into the gaming to the gaming world with a very fresh new perspective um, on you know, what it means to have an iGaming product and how they can, how consumers can engage with it. I, I liken it to when they put the first, uh, you know, touchscreens, the, the first slot machines that had touchscreens, right? Like what is that innovation in iGaming? Cause that change, and you go to a casino now, especially here in North America, you go to a casino now and there's, you know, every single slot machine is a touchscreen. You know, you've no. got your, you, you, they, they put the traditional, you know, sort of reel and spin, they, they'll have a row of them, a bank of them in the corner for the old school guys, yeah, right? Yeah. But, no for the most part, you walk through a Vegas casino and it is all touchscreen, all immersive. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What What does that product innovation look like in iGaming? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, like you say, not not just the um, not just the, the the game itself, but also the the platform that you're interacting with uh, on the operator side. And uh, right. you, it's so interesting. I think like there's so many parallels to draw between between the iGaming industry. Uh, and what makes people tick and social yeah. media and what makes people tick right and, and the, because the the, um, the way that um, facebook uh, draws you into their platform and holds your attention 
is very similar to uh, to the way uh, you are getting drawn in and uh, sucked into a slot machine game, for example, uh, in the sense that uh, there is this um, this random um, action that happens, and you don't know if you're going to win or if you're going to lose. And similarly to when you look at your phone, you know, and uh, and you have notifications. It's like the excitement of looking at your phone and uh, not knowing if you have gotten a notification or not, you know, or uh, checking Facebook and the latest messages and, and these things. The, the psychology is, is, is very similar. And, um, and, and that is obviously what uh, like a company like Facebook are really trying to take advantage of and what they are doing so well to keep players engaged with their platform. So that's what you were saying so is like what gaming can do. Yes. So what's interesting is that gaming, look, it's almost, it's again, one of those things maybe that is staring us in the face. And so we don't think about it. Right. So the, mm -hmm. like you said, when, you know, we've seen product, we've seen these discussions happen with these social casinos where they go, it's literally the same mechanisms as gaming as with gaming, right. With mm -hmm. the actual slot, it's gamification, right. It's the actual, you know, psychology behind the slot machine it spins, loud noises, you know, blinking lights, yes. you know, you win. It's it's that whole, it is the, everything that happens psychologically. Yes, it, with, with the engagement of that product, right? With the, with the engagement of that um, of that experience. For whatever reason, iGaming operators have left it in the box of a slot machine, right? Exactly. Like mm -hmm. they haven't taken that gamification out of the slot machine experience and put it across their entire product, <laughs> right? So it's not just, Oh, when you're playing the slot machine game, that's happening. It's when, hey, when you log in, what happens when you log into that platform? What happens when you're not engaging with them to get you to come back and re-engage with the with the product? What are you doing in order to create that gamification and that endorphin rush mm. uh, that people get when they see that Facebook notification or they see that, uh, you know, they they see that mention coming from somebody? Um, and, and again, I think it's just because we're in it, right? We're in it every day, and so we can't see the forest through the trees, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I think there's, and to give some operators credit, I mean, there are guys that I think started to push that. Mm. You know, you look at, you know, you look at something like Kasumo or Casino Hero. I think those guys were trying to, you know, the gamification of casino play. I think that was, you know, they were started to try and push those limits a little bit. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's not something that's really widespread yet in terms of all the operators. And again, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to push that, push those bounds. Yeah, and, and, and again, drawing parallels to social media, uh, in, in Sweden, where, where I'm raised, um, we had social media platforms from the very early 2000s, like well before Facebook uh, was uh, born. And this was uh, a cultural thing in Sweden. Everyone had this particular uh, social media platform. And then it changed a couple of years later to, to the trends shifted to something else and then to something else and so forth. But um, when Facebook came, there were a lot of different uh, uh, social media platforms in Sweden. All had their own uh, little uh, niche, so to say. But when Facebook came, all of them died. All of them. Right. Right. Like over the span of a couple of months, they just right. died. You know, everyone moved to Facebook, and and um, the reason for that now I realize is just what you are talking about now, which is the uh, the fact that Facebook managed to. Uh, really go into your psychology and how to trigger you to get these endorphin uh, kicks to keep you going back to Facebook specifically. Whereas these right. other social media networks, they, their only task was to connect people. And, and it, may, it may be because you had a certain interest or, um, or, or whatnot, but they didn't dig into the uh, psychology of human beings the way Facebook uh, did. And uh, that obviously um, was a very powerful 
thing for Facebook. So maybe the operators right now uh, have a similar mindset to the earlier social media sites in the in the 2000s in Sweden, which is the, they had an, a nice layout, for example, where they had a certain niche or they had something different that the others didn't have. But they have not thought about the psychology of the uh, of the player. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, you know, I think I think that they they're maybe they are, but it's in the it's in the context of their specific gambling products, right? It's yeah. pay the the psychology the psychology behind a slot game, the psychology behind table games, the psychology behind you know sports games, exactly. right? Um, mm -hmm. But but take that outside of those boxes, right? In the sense of okay, well, how do you make the product regardless of which of those particular uh, you know games that people are engaging with? How do you make the entire product that immersive and that engaging? Yeah. Um, I think there's some guys trying some things, but I don't think you know. There's a lot of reasons why. Again, I go back to I think a lot of it is just the technology that exists right now for operators to use without having without building it completely from scratch themselves. Yeah. I think that a lot of operators are limited based on the technology solutions that are out there. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that the products are the, the technology is bad. It's just it's if you look at what's available to operators, um, there's still not a ton of push in terms of innovation from these casino platforms to really drive operators or, or at least equip the operators to be able to take advantage mm. of the opportunity that exists. Yeah. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah. So it's interesting parallels to uh, to you know Facebook, multi multi billion uh, your organization who have really really understood the psychology of human beings, you know, mm -hmm. and took took it to a different level. Um, uh, Alan, uh, the time is running out here, but I want to uh, touch on one last subject uh, before we we stop today, which is the uh, American market, which I think is uh, a good subject for for today as well, since uh, uh, since you literally have boots on the ground uh, over yeah. there. Um, American election is uh, is over. Uh, at least uh, that's what uh, half of your country thinks. <laughs> yep. um, and uh, and uh, we have an outcome uh, there, more or less. Um, what do you, what is your expectation uh, now as we move forward into 2021 with the American market? How do you see uh, this developing? The stock market has an incredible high expectation of the um, of the uh, American. Uh, uh, gambling uh, future i-giving I market. We see that with DraftKings, who have very low revenue, but they have insanely high valuation by the uh, by the shareholders. Uh, yeah. Putting a lot of pressure on this. So, what's your analysis of the American market? Yeah, I mean, look, we're here. Uh, we're, you know, we're fortunate in that it's, this is where we live, so we can kind of get a little bit better access to uh, some of the information and data coming out. I think um, I think the market's bullish on it. But rightfully so. It's very difficult to nail down what the actual market opportunity is in the United States, um, just because you know it's it's fragmented based on it's fragmented based on state, and then the states have you know we, you've got the sort of uh, call it the old school we call them the offshore right the illegal gambling operations. How big are those guys really? True, it's hard to gauge how big those guys are and what what sort of impact they're going to have long term as states continue to regulate. Um, you know, uh, here, here's what I can tell you. Everything that I've seen so far has been positive momentum, right? There's more and more states coming online. There's more and more states who see it as a viable revenue opportunity uh, based on, you know, just based on the success of New Jersey and Pennsylvania early on. Um, so for us, we're, we're looking at it as, hey, it's, it's a very, we're bullish on the market ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's a very different market than the rest of the world, right? It's a very, 
immature market from a gambling perspective, if you look at it, right? Whereas the rest of the world is, has been playing online since the early 2000s, um, you know, the consumer behavior here is not, it's not there yet. Um, we see that specifically in sports betting, right? You look at the guys who've come over from, from Europe and tried to just bring the European betting, uh, you know, the, the European betting uh, product and methodology here, the North American better is much different than the European better. It's a much different, uh, much different environment. Um, and it's also a different environment in terms of um, the opportunities for uh, operators to engage with consumers. You have to compete in this in this market. You have to be able to compete with really compelling non-gambling products, right? Mm -hmm. You're competing for consumer attention with products, uh, you know, with you know uh, non-gambling products, uh, mm -hmm. and the channels for consumer behavior are much different here than in Europe or in Asia or in any of these other places where a lot of these operators are are, are um, conducting business. So, um, yeah, the markets, look, I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of you know stocks right now, if you ask me, I think they're a little bit inflated, but I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, the values that you're seeing, I mean, that's the other thing you got to remember too, the, the, the market is projecting its future valuation, right? What are, what, are these, what are these brands going to be able to be, be able to produce in the future? And I think um, they're a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of, a run right now because of how you know it's an it's emerging market that everybody knows is going to be massive it's just not clear yet how massive right? exactly that's the difficulty um, right like yeah and how long is it going to take yeah before it comes to fruition as well like you're saying it's a whole culture that needs to be taught how to play online gambling it has never existed yeah. in your culture except for the poker boom in the 2000s i mean yeah, exactly, yeah. and and you saw how big that market got very quickly, right? Yeah, and yeah. you know, and there's a there's there was a there was a vacuum there, right? Uh, when yeah. poker got pushed out, there's a lot of people who are already trained or, or already used to gambling, and they have got no outlet for that, or or they do, but it's not there's no there's no legal outlet for them. So as the legal outlets come in, um, they're going to start to to shift there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look, I think the the opportunity is, uh, I think. As an aggregate, each one of the states themselves is is, a, is an interesting micro micro economy, if you will. Um, but you know, a couple of data points we look at. Look at New Jersey. New Jersey was the first state in the United States to, to regulate. It's the size of Sweden. So, <laughs> Swedish market in terms of in terms of population, they're very similar in size, right? So the so you look at a market like Sweden, which is one of the largest gambling markets in the world, regulate one of the largest regulated gambling markets in the world. New Jersey should be there fairly quickly. Um, you have New York, which you know it's, the regulation is taking much longer there. That's a mass. That's a much larger population opportunity with a lot more economic incentive to be able to go online. So those you know those two states alone could be very interesting. You look at California. California, I think, is the sixth the sixth largest GDP in the world as a state. <laughs> right. So when that state regulates, I mean, we know the numbers. We know what the offline market is here. It's, it's mm -hmm. massive. It's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year offline market. Yeah. The, it, the online market is not going to cannibalize that. It's going to cause the offline market to grow, and it's going to be an exponential growth in the total market of California mm -hmm. in terms of gambling. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're we're bullish. We're watching it. It's the challenge here is the, just the regulatory environment, the regulatory framework. It's got to be state by state. Um, it's going to yeah. be very difficult for anything to pass at a federal level, if at all. Uh, but the states are, I mean, there's a ton of activity happening. Um, the guys, uh, Chris Grove and those guys are doing a really good job of, of covering all the different legal, uh, you know, all the different legal updates and what's happening in each of those states. So okay. we follow that as closely as possible. 
Very interesting. And, and um, uh, something I've been thinking about as well is, like you're saying, yeah, the, the US as a market is a different animal to penetrate, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of these very well-known European gaming brands that are huge, like, uh, you know, you look at the, like uh, William Hill, uh, the GBC with Ladbrokes and all these, um, all these brands, um, they don't, they have massive brand, brand um, equity within Europe, but they have zero brand equity uh, within the US. Okay, and that's where companies like uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and MGM and all this comes into play, right? Because uh, for, the, for the US consumer, it seems like brand equity is something very, very important to them. Um, so how do you enter and succeed in the, in the US if you are like a mid-sized uh, European operator? Is it even possible to do uh, using their own brand? I mean, not having... Yeah, uh, I I think it's a challenge. I mean, look, you, you look at the European operators, even those guys, they did they did partnerships, right? GBC has the joint venture partnership with MGM with Roar. You've got, you know, William Hill's got the DVP partnership that they've done, well, not, you know, the acquisition that they've done. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's... But if you're a smaller operator, let's say, because, yeah, GBC, yes, they have the liquidity, they can partner with MGM. Uh, same with Will Hill, they, uh, you know, acquired by Caesars and so forth. But if you are like Betson, for example, medium-sized operator, if you are yeah. Hasu, uh, if you are Harry Gaming, uh, yeah. how is it even possible to scratch the surface on that market? Um, it's it's going to be it's challenging, right? Mm. Uh, because you have the way that and this just goes down to the regulatory framework, right? The the way that the regulations happening in each one of these states is you know you've got to have basically operations in the state in order to be able to to, to offer a license there. Uh, they were to be able to get a, to acquire a license there. Um, mm. I think there's still opportunity for some some really interesting joint ventures because you look at again, it's, it's 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 a fragmented approach, right? Because each one of the states, there's different players in each state, and there's different compelling reasons for, you know, uh, an operator, uh, an online op or offline operator in the state of Iowa, for example, to partner with you know a, a mid-level operator from Europe to help them go online, uh, to go online. So um, I, I think the biggest uh, the biggest opportunity for these mid-sized operators to come into the U.S. is their expertise, right? Understanding mm -hmm. how to run online an online gaming operation because it is very different than an offline operation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, product differentiation. How how is it that you know those mid-sized products are going to differ from the, the the bigger brands? What are they going to do to to differentiate? Um, it is a challenge. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, there's a great opportunity for mid-sized operators to come to the North American market. Just the way that the regulatory framework is shaking out, it doesn't look like there's a really clear opportunity for a bunch of mid-sized operators from Europe to come in and capitalize an opportunity here. The real opportunity in the U.S. market is still on a platform level. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you've got each one of the brands is going to do their own uh, decision making, whether they want to build the brand themselves or whether they want to partner with someone who's already built the, that those brands elsewhere and just bring that expertise here to the US. Yeah. Uh, and I think the jury's still out on which way is the right way to go. Um, you've got really great native North American brands like the score. Um, you know, you've got, you know, parks in Pennsylvania, which is, you know, it's a, it is a Pennsylvania operation. They're going at themselves. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that operators are going to attack going online. Uh, and I think there is opportunity strategically for maybe some mid-sized operators to come here in some of the specific states. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, what you're seeing with GBC, Will Hill, and what those guys have done is really kind of the, you know, if you're going to create a partner, if you're going to be in Europe and you want to create a partnership, those are the models for sure. Uh, and it, it, again, the jury's still out whether or not the guys, uh, the North American brands themselves are just going to decide to build themselves or if they're going to partner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Cool. So, yeah, so, so to close things off today, Alan, the, the reason I asked this is because uh, uh, the other week I, I did a podcast with uh, Ricky Wickstrom of, of um, Internet Vikings, so we were speculating about the same thing. And uh, I promised that, uh, so, so, I, so I think my, my opinion is that, um, uh, you know, the opportunity that I see for the medium-sized operators is to be acquired uh, by uh, land-based casinos who are now obviously struggling for revenue and who are uh, potentially interested in 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 entering the um the online world as a way to secure their future basically uh make right. the organization pandemic proof so i speculated a bit in uh isn't it an opportunity for land-based casinos to um to acquire the medium-sized operators because that would be a cheaper way to acquire their expertise which is what they are lacking obviously uh mm -hmm. so i promised uh, richard that um if we don't see an um, acquisition uh, of a medium-sized operators within the next three years, that I would eat my sock. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you're right. I think you're right on. I think I think it, it does make sense. It does make sense for for a mm. land-based operator to acquire a medium-sized operator from Europe to buy that expertise. Mm. Um, I think if you look at the way that MA, the way that these these brands are approaching their acquisition, their their MA stuff, um, there would have to be a really compelling technical reason as well. Because I mean, look, these offline brands understand how important the tech component is to going online. So, um, you know, if you were to say, if you were to sort of shortlist uh, the mid-sized operators that could be acquired by an offline by an offline uh, operation here in the U.S., um, they would definitely have to have some really compelling tech uh, uh, tech. You know, some of their own proprietary tech uh, for for those guys to want to acquire. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, I, th I think that could be smart. Um, you know, you never, yeah. you never know what these guys, how these deals go, right? And I mean, these deals come out of nowhere sometimes, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. interesting. Okay, but yeah, I, I think it would be smart. I think it, it, you know, you'd have to have the challenge. Is that, I mean, the challenge is some of these mid-sized operators are bigger in terms of their, you know, in terms of their revenue, they're bigger than what the total opportunity is for them once they come into the U.S. market because of how fragmented it is. So that's going to be the challenge. Is hey, you're going to go and acquire. Uh, an asset overseas that you have to be able to extract that value. You have to be able to extract value out of them in their overseas markets as well as here mm. domestically. Mm. Uh, and it's got to be complementary as well. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen a couple of ideas floated like that, uh, yeah. but it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. But I, I would say you're, you're probably spot on in the next three years, there should be at least one potentially more acquisitions of, of mid-sized European operators by North American operations for sure. My sock is safe for now. Uh, I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for for coming on today. It's super interesting to uh, to hear your thoughts on 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 uh, all of this. There's so much more to discuss on on the uh, on, on your expertise and data collection and the trends that are, are going on. But I think we covered uh, a lot today, at least. Uh, so um, so yeah, thank you, Alan. And uh, last question for you: Where is uh, analytics is uh, in uh, five years' time? Let's say, what's your ambition of your company? Man. Uh... Five years time. So I, look, I, I think uh, my big, big vision is I, I don't think humans should be involved in the optimization of, of digital campaigns. I think, uh, look, there's the technology and the data exists for the, the, the robots to do it themselves. I mm -hmm. think, you, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more data and technology democratization at the operator level. And that's part of what we're helping to empower. Um, and I think that, you know, you're just going to have, you know, my sort of the holy grail for us in terms of what we, we want to be able to produce is, is to create a platform that allows 
uh, that's just sort of a almost like an ATM for the operators. You put money in, you put you put you put inputs in, and and the outcomes results, and mm-hmm. those results are optimized uh, are optimized by the algorithms. The you know the human mm-hmm. touch in terms of campaign optimization should not be there. There's not a we can't do it efficiently. Uh, as efficiently as, as as the algorithms can do, so that's really what I believe in. Will, will will happen in the next five years. Great. Well, I for one welcome our uh, robot marketing overlords. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan, for today. Have a good day. Thanks, Ria. Cheers, cheers. This fruitful discussion has been brought to you by our sponsors, Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. Is your business struggling to keep up with the development demands on your current gaming platform? Well, then it's time to upgrade to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Multi-tenant, multi-currency, multi-regional, API-based, rule engine automated, regulation ready. It's all here out of the box. Smart businesses leverage Pragmatic SaaS model and license powerful modern technology for a fraction of the cost of in-house development. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Stay safe and take care.